Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah, we were lamenting the loss of the PDN30 when the magazine folded. And although it's sort of unclear what will become of that, we have a similar list out of the British Journal of Photography called The Ones to Watch. And this year's list, very diverse from around the world and some great photography. Absolutely stunning stuff. Very like, very art focused, I noticed. What did you like out of that? Well, I liked a lot of it. Some of the names were recognizable. I was happy to see a few, um, but somebody that I wasn't aware of, um, whose work I really, really like, uh, was Mohammed Khalido's work. Um, his series, Among You, which looks at Moroccan youth, teens and young people that are kind of going against the grain with their own outward appearance. So he's documented everybody from a female weightlifter to like goth style uh, people and then tattooed individuals, which there is taboo. Um, and he also includes sub quotes from his subjects, which I really like and pairs it next to the images. Really wonderful portrait work. I love the presentation using diptych and the, the the matching of the color between either the clothing or something that the, the subject of the portrait is wearing and then mm-hmm. usually some sort of environmental image and the colors are just, you know, mm, mamma mia, yeah. <laughs> really, really nice. His, really nice. His use of light. Sometimes he... When he takes interiors, he's using just that little hint of flash. It's not like overbearing. Um, And then outside, it looks like mostly natural light. It's really, really beautiful stuff. I was happy to see a number of names that we've talked about on the show before. David Uzuchuku, Kennedy Carter, Micaiah Carter. um, Some really, really nice work. You know, and looking at all of the, the people who were selected, I was going through some of it and I said, I don't really understand this photography. <laughs> you know, there, <laughs> there is a genre of photography that's, uh, for lack of a better word, filmic. Uh, I don't know whether mm. they're using film or they're uh, simulating film and it tends to be slightly underexposed and very grainy and very moody. Um, mm-hmm. And that, mm. for me personally, doesn't match my my taste in photography. So it's hard for me to look at that work and say, why are these people the ones to watch? But it, but it's good too, because it's sort of mind expanding to look at stuff that, that doesn't strike you as being uh, indicative of the type of photography that you think is, you know, superlative. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you mentioned PDN's 30 at the top uh, of the show. And this is sort of like that, except for like, like I said, there is that more kind of like fine art feel to it. Right. Um, there wasn't much as much variance that I noticed in terms of the types of photography. So when I was Googling a lot of the photographers, it was interesting to see that some of them don't have websites. Um, it really? was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to see where their Instagram page comes up before their website. And it was interesting to see that when they do have a website, often the SEO, so that, for example, the page description of who you are and what you do was non-existent. So a lot of them would have, you know, so-and-so photographer, and then it would say uh, project page one, page two, page three as their SEO. Mm, that's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Especially, you know, when you don't know somebody's name and you search for them and that's what you get, then right. you have to click into the website and then you're bouncing around, not finding what you want. Yeah. 
No, you need good SEO on a website. Listen, we're going to spend next week's show, actually, at least part of the show, we're going to talk about whether you need a website in 2020. It's, Ooh, it's yes. an idea that we like to revisit every once in a while, but it's, you know, in, in this world where so many young furs are spending time on Instagram, Instagram stories, and maybe even TikTok nowadays, thinking that that is mm-hmm. the way that they should present themselves, you know, us old people have some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I look ooh, I look forward to this discussion for sure. So, Alan, are you a fan of the UK Royals? Like, are you a fanatic? Yeah, I, I think I yeah. enjoy them for what they are from, a, <laughs> you know, they, they represent something for UK culture. But no, I can't say I really follow them that much. OK, I don't normally either. But uh, Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, popped up on my Twitter feed today because she held a photography contest along with the National Portrait Gallery. Mm. Yeah. And the hundred photos that were shortlisted were announced today. And they're just really heartwarming and wonderful. Um, The contest was announced back in May by the Duchess herself, uh, asking for portrait entries um, that aim to show Britain under lockdown. So there were three categories you could enter. There were helpers and heroes, your your new normal, and acts of kindness. Um, and the images are just really heartwarming. I mean, of course, leave it to Kate Middleton, you know, to kind of lead the charge on this like heartwarming, you know, very emotional um, nationwide <laughs> effort that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But some of the, you know, the entries really vary. You can tell some of them were taken on an iPhone um, while others are done by professional photographers. But it's really fun to look through the hundred. And what a cool thing to be featured on for those hundred photographers. I'm a big fan of the National Portrait Gallery. I'm a big fan of their portrait contest every year. Uh, Of course, because we advocate a lot for um, business practices, I can't help but think whether any of these people were compensated in any way. Mm-hmm. Or whether it was yeah. just like, hey, everyone send us your photos and then we can republish them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do know. I mean, it's, the, it's the Duchess. Entries. Yeah. yeah. The, the royal family's got hundreds of millions of dollars. Come on, pay the people. Give it back a little bit. I really love this photo by Lottie Sophia. It's a black and white window light, kind of side profile-ish. And I think to your point, some of them read as professional photography because they are well composed and well exposed and others seem very much like snapshots, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I think it's representative of the people. So I think in that respect, it's a, it's a fun little project. Totally. We should note that the show is called Hold Still. So you can Google Hold Still and also all the links will be available on the Photo Shelter blog. At blog.photoshelter.com. We've spent many shows talking about the influence of Google Street View on culture, and a number of photographers have used it as source material for various photo projects. The Audubon magazine came out with an interesting project whereby Google Street View has been used to find birds in an article called, Can't Take That Birding Vacation? Try Google Street View Instead. And it's the outreach manager for Audubon, Maine, a guy by the name of Nicholas Lund, who started trying to find birds in various photos on Google Street View. And and so then he created a Facebook group and they've identified several hundred species of birds. Thought that was kind of an interesting take on Google Street View. 
Absolutely. Not like not the use case it was made for, but like <laughs> very useful. There was another article called How to Blur Your House on Google Street View and Why You Should on Mashable. So I guess the beauty of the the birding via Street View is that you're capturing so much stuff in these photos and of the millions and millions of photos in Street View, there are bound to be birds in there. The the counterpoint to this uh, in the Mashable articles, it talks about people having affairs that are caught in the windows of the street view cameras. <laughs> um, you know, just a weird, you know, pe- people on the side of the street, people being assaulted, just all of this stuff that you end up capturing, again, mm. is a function of the number of photos that you're getting. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about blurring your house, Sarah? You know, it's funny because the only time that I've really looked up my own home or other people's homes um, on Google Street View is literally when you're kind of walking down memory lane with a friend and you're like, oh, let me show you my childhood house. Like, okay, let me Google Street View it for you, you know? And so like, I've only used it in positive ways. I haven't used it as ways to like stalk people um, (laughs) or potentially rob people. (laughs) So I can, I can totally understand homeowners um, that are worried about their privacy, you know, not having their home, shown on this public map. And I guess, you know, it's not, it's, I don't know what consent, if any, you know, Google got when they, when they initially did this. Um, so it's good that there's an op out. It, it's interesting. So the warning is that once you blur it, you can never unblur that photo. Now that's strange to I'm, me. I'm thinking about it from the, the standpoint of a homeowner who says, while I'm living there, I want it blurred. But the moment that I want to sell it, I need it to be viewable for people who are coming to see the house or who oh, are, yeah. want to do like a virtual tour. I, I think there's real utility, particularly in a city or an urban environment when you're looking for a business to be able to see what that business looks like before you get there, right? Mm-hmm. You're just, you're looking for geographical uh, landmarks, um, visual landmarks to be able to navigate around it's a little dicey. You know, maybe the satellite view is a little more intrusive. I, I have, I'm sort of hard pressed to understand. I mean, these, these weird situations, notwithstanding the use cases, the valid use cases seem to overwhelm the the rare instances where you're caught having an affair, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I hope that that's be true. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's weird that it's permanent once you request it to be blurred out. Um, but like I said before, I, it, I think it's good that there's a way to be like, nope, I don't want my house shown. Well, you know, Google has enough of our personal information, so maybe <laughs> we should push back a little bit. You know, I watched, there's a, uh, there's a Netflix documentary on uh, right now, now called The Social Dilemma, which I watched this past weekend. If you ever want to be freaked out about how much data all of these social networks and various tech companies have on you, go ahead and watch that. That'll make you want to turn off your phone. You can try to turn off your phone, but it's so addictive you won't be able to, I think is the point of the documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I want to see that. I came across a really, really interesting set of animated videos by SF MoMA called the Pioneers of Photography. And there are four or five five-minute videos that are animated talking about different historical figures in photography, Carlton Watkins, Julia Margaret Cameron, uh, Edward Murray Bridge, um, really, really interesting stuff. And names that maybe you've heard 
kind of peripherally in conversations, but you might have forgotten who they were and what they did in photography. I, I found these to be really, really fun and informative. Yeah, they're really cute. The illustration, the animation is just darling. And it's kind of a good refresher of photo history, I'd say. Like if you took a photo history class, some of these names, you know, they right. definitely ring a bell, but it's like, oh, nice. Julia Margaret Cameron, her work. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I love, love, love her stuff. So there's a photo she took called Pomona from 1872. It's a young woman kind of dressed in boho chic uh, clothing and styling that if you told me it was taken yesterday, I would have totally believed you. Yeah. You know, I, I think some of the images she has where the hairstyles are clearly from the 19th century. But when you look at the faces and some of the stuff they're wearing, um, I mean, it, there's a there's a weirdly modern feel to some of it. Yeah. I was in London last summer and I hopped into this really cute photo cafe. I'm blanking on the name. I wish I remembered it, but they had a bunch of photo books and you could get a coffee. And I ended up buying a postcard with one of her images on it. And it's just titled The Rosebud Garden of Girls. And it's four women posed together. Together in a, in a rose bush, and it literally it looks like an Instagram from from today. <laughs> you know where you're like, oh hey, like let's get all in the rose bush. Everybody hold a flower. You know, it's it's really gorgeous. So she used a very very shallow selective focus in her her portraits, and was criticized in London's Photographic Journal for this soft focus. To which she responded, "What is focus, and who has the right to say what focus is the legitimate focus?" Yes. That, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I love that. What a, what a good comeback. As someone who frequently misfocuses on images, <laughs> I, yeah, right. I found that oddly comforting, although she does it on purpose and I, I can't seem to focus sometimes. <laughs> you know, I was looking at the, the Muy Bridge video and a lot of people are familiar with the galloping horse orc that he did. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize what the setup was for, I guess, for some reason... I mean, I never thought about it. And when, you know, you, you look at this image of the galloping horse and it's centered in the frame. And I guess I thought it was like on a treadmill or something. But in <laughs> fact, he had multiple cameras and trip wires. And as the horse went across, it would trip the cameras. So there, I don't know how many images are in the sequence, eight, ten. So that's how many photos uh, were taken for that sequence. And he had, you know, the side of this barn painted white. Um, and he did a lot of these motion studies in a project called Animal Locomotion. You know, he would he would create like a uh, lines behind the animal on the the background, so you could see sort of the position of the limbs or the wings. Mm-hmm. Um, super fascinating. And, and recently, there was a video on YouTube, a high speed capture of insects uh, taken by an entomologist, and. It just kind of reminded me of, you know, the the 3,200 frame per second version of Muy Bridge mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Just really, really beautiful stuff. Yeah, it was his work that made us all discover that there's that moment where the horse doesn't have any feet, like none of their feet is on the ground for like a, hot, a split second. Yeah. And at we the didn't know that very end of the f- uh, At the very end of the video, the narrator says something like, anytime you watch in animation, you're watching something that was influenced by Muybridge's work. 
Now, another technology yeah. that he used to display this stuff is something called the zoetrope. Um, and it's usually a bunch of images on a circular plate that gets rotated. And as it rotates and you're focusing on one little image, it, it looks like it's moving. So it's kind of like, you know, those flip books we had as kids or in the mm -hmm. corner of the flip book, it would look like it's, it's moving. And yeah. I came across this artist named T. Ken Ng out of Australia who's doing modern zoetropes. And he's done a bunch of videos and he's using video cameras to, to create different layers of the same zoetrope. Just really, really fascinating to go back to this 19th century technology and use it in a 21st century context. Alan, you used to have a photo shelter blog series that was Who Shot It Better? Yeah. And I yeah, <laughs> it was good. I liked it. I liked it. I got some <laughs> criticism for it. Of course. You know, because people were As like, why should. do you have to compare? Why can't we just enjoy it? But we're always comparing photos. <laughs> exactly. I came across two photos of the Paris Hilton um, within a couple days of each other that really reminded me of each other. They were very similar photographs. And so I thought I was like, oh, we need to do a who shot it better. Um, one of the images was taken by Daniel Jack Loins for The New York Times and the other by Ryan Pfluger for InStyle. Um, Paris Hilton has a new documentary that just came out today. It's on YouTube. It's called This Is Paris. So that's why she's being in the news. <laughs> that's why she's in the news right now. Not that she's like not ever in the news. Um, but yeah, there's a couple images that are just so similar. It looks as though the, both of the shoots happened in the same location um, in a backyard, in a beautiful, you know, backyard, very landscaped and groomed. Um, and there's images of her sitting on the grass, you know, in these very feminine, flowy, beautiful dresses um, with beautiful light. And I don't know whose I like better. It's a tough call. Well, talk through it a little bit. Okay. What, what about that top image on the New York Times taken by Daniel Jack Lyon? What do you think of that? Oh, yeah. This is definitely, it's a little strange. It's kind of moody. She's mostly in shadow, except for like the top portion of her face. She's wearing sunglasses as she normally does. It definitely has that like filmy, grainy <laughs> right. look to it, you know, like he's shooting with shooting film. Um, I mean, I, I love that shot. She's wearing a white dress with pink flowers on the print. Um, her hair is blonde as ever. The I like this photo. The first thing I thought when I saw this photo was either the word ombre or the word balayage, which both <laughs> describe ways that hair gets colored nowadays. Yeah. Where there's like, you know, it goes from light to dark in sort of a gradient sort of fashion. And mm -hmm. when I looked at the light kind of moving down from the top of the frame to the bottom, I was like, that looks like balayage. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then my second thought was, this looks a little underexposed. I gotta be honest, you know, some of the shadows gets, gets really grainy. It looks a little underexposed. Yeah, I know. It does almost sort of look like a mistake potentially. Yeah. Cause the color is not popping in the shadows. But you know, this goes back to what I was saying before, like stylistically, maybe that's just the look that he was going for. It's hard to, it's hard to say. Now the image oh, of absolutely. her, right? That's, I think he, yeah. I think he was probably trying to go for that look. The image that's a little bit further down in the article, uh, as you said, she's in this flowy dress sitting on the, the grass. 
uh, it looks a little bit later in the day. Um, this one is very, very similar to the, the in-style image. Mm-hmm. I might like the in-style v- image a little bit better, but they do look awfully similar. They really do. She's, she's looking up to the sky. It's definitely golden hour. The sun is, you know, about to be completely down. Um, it, it has a real moody feel to it, given yeah. that kind of like filmy look that we referenced before, um, which makes sense because this new documentary is supposedly showing this different side to her that she's, ne- you know, quote unquote, never revealed before. Um, <laughs> right. So it's, the photos are um, perhaps reflecting that a little bit. The in-style photos are definitely a little bit more brightly colored. They're shot more um, midday. There's not that moody shadow. Um, you know, when you're surrounded by grass and leaves and you're in the shadow, it tends to push everything really towards the green spectrum. And so you have to compensate yes. by pushing the white balance yellowish to to make the skin look natural. Uh-huh. But the 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 unintended side effect of that is that the, you know, the green doesn't really look green. It looks desaturated because it doesn't look green. That's true. Whereas the grass looks very natural in Ryan Fluger's shot for InStyle. It's interesting. But, you know, honestly, if you told me that these two photos were taken by the same photographer, I would have believed you because they're yeah. You know, compositionally and the the styling and the location is so similar. And, you know, they, it looks like maybe they're off by an hour, but otherwise they look I know. pretty similar. I got to say, even the styling um, yeah. looks a little bit similar because she's posing in a white dress for some of the shots for InStyle and for the New York Times. So I don't know. I'm leaning more towards Daniel Jack Loins for the Times. Right. I think I kind of like the moodiness. I kind of like that it's not all bright and flower, completely flowery, um, that she's kind of in the shadows and shade. I, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the times on this one. <laughs> so you said <laughs> these this press junket is because she has a new documentary coming out, a new movie coming yeah. out? Yeah. It? Hmm. It's on YouTube. Ah. Um, yes, she didn't direct it. So I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what the director's name is, but... Apparently she let her guard down completely for this director and yeah, it's on YouTube now for free. So go watch it. Will will you be watching it? Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, I really never had any interest in Paris because she was, you know, Paris and then Kim Kardashian were the beginning of people who became famous for no reason. Mm, And I just, uh, sort of the antithesis of the way that I like to. To, to, to reward merit and work and, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> okay, oh well. But Paris, Paris is 250 days out of the year. She's traveling the world as a DJ. Okay. Did you know that? That's true. I do remember that she's a DJ. <laughs> she's I, a I, DJ. I haven't actually listened to her DJing, so I don't know if she's any good or whether it's just part of the shtick. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't say, but she's making 1 million per gig. So I, I oh. would assume she's pretty good. <laughs> well, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, there was a tweet that came out uh, either yesterday or the day before, and it is a tweet of a photo by Ezra Shaw taken at a baseball game. Um, and it is hmm, maybe a sign of the times and also simultaneously depressing, but it's basically <laughs> the, the ballpark with cardboard cutouts and oh, you wow. see the very orange smoke-filled air from the California wildfires. 
Wow. Kind yeah, of, and it's kind it, of depressing. <laughs> it it is, it is a little bit. Wow. And this got eighty eight k likes on Twitter. Uh, this yes, this got a lot of attention. It's strange. You can see the like you mentioned the cardboard cutouts, but you're seeing them from behind. Yeah. So all you're seeing is these like flat shapes of heads. Yeah, looking out onto this like just deeply orange. Oh, man. So the tweet says, I'd like to nominate cardboard humans watching baseball in a dystopian (laughs) hellscape for the photo of 2020. I I might have to agree with that. Wow. (laughs) I mean, all you need is like a COVID patient, you know, on the side and then then it would be perfect. But holy crap, what a... Wow. What a year it's been. And it's, it's, in in some ways, you know, it's mid-September. We're recording this today on September 14th. I can't believe it's already September 14th. And on the other hand, I can't wait for this year to be over. I know, but Alan, you know, we have to make the change. It's not just going to change in 2021. (laughs) That's true. That's a good pep talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like trying to twist it positive. Like we have to, I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, all of the stuff that we talked about today, you can find the links to the original articles on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Thanks for joining us for another week. Hit that subscribe button, leave us a comment, or leave us a tweet at Photoshelter. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.